Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today I'm very honoured to have as my special guest, singer, guitar player, songwriter, and Canadian music legend, Gary Felgard. We'll be talking about music and travels and the business of music and the life of a career entertainer. We'll get some other insights as well about recording albums and live shows and just life in the music business. So stick around for a look inside the Canadian music scene from someone who's been there for many decades. Uh, Gary Felgard is described as an award-winning singer-songwriter and a champion of vanishing values and the frontier spirit. He's a Juno Award winner and in 2005 he was inducted into the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame. So thanks for joining me today, Gary. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm just fine, Dan. Great. And you're, uh, so you live on Gabriola Island, is that correct? Gabriola Island, that's correct. Speaking to uh, us from Gabriola Island, beautiful spot. I've uh, been over there a number of times over the years, and uh, there's a real culture and community over there. Yeah, I think I think that we, we know a lot of the same people, but I, we've maybe traveled in different circles. Your music is a little more of a modern edge. Yeah. And I'm kind of an old-fashioned guy. Well, it's funny because I met you about probably 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago. You were at Poncho and Lefties, and there was a a fundraiser going on. And everyone was happy that you were there. And then you ended up not playing because you said, this really isn't my crowd. And we were all looking forward to having you get up and do a few songs. And you ended up not doing it. Do you remember that? Oh, I don't remember that. But I'm kicking myself in the rear now for not doing (laughs) this. Doing a song or two. Well, yeah, it was just one of those things where, you know, I mean, that, that place was a little bit edgy, and it was a country bar that was kind of had a bit of an identity crisis because they played rock, too. But um, you would have been more than welcome and, and more than received well there. And then they said, well, Gary's not going to sing. He doesn't think this is his crowd. My insecurity must have been showing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, that that was the one time I did meet you. And, uh, of course, you, you've been around for years, and, and we do know lots of mutual people. So you were born in Saskatchewan, though. You're a, you're a prairie boy originally. I'm a prairie farm boy, yeah. Good for you. And proud of your Canadian heritage and the, that pioneer. I guess there's just something about that working-class spirit, that pioneer spirit that just resonates with the people that came out of that area. Yeah, I, you know, I realized a long time ago that I, I wasn't cut out to be a farmer. Hmm. So I, yeah. and uh, of course, music was uh, the only thing, other thing I knew how to do. Yeah. Except I wanted to be a cowboy in the worst way, but anyway. <laughs> well, it's funny because I wonder about that, you know, with, with the upcoming generation. I don't like to make generalities about the generations, but that, that sort of gritty spirit. Um, do you think that we're losing some of that? Uh, I think so. I, I think we are losing some of that. I just, uh, you know, I don't dwell on that too much now at, the, at this age. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, people forget how to do things. You know, how to build a fire for one thing and how to get water for another thing. It just, it's all survival and it's it's things that you you have to know how to do or, or, or you just don't survive. Right. And then, uh, of course, working hard, having a, a good work ethic. I know I keep hearing that, that the younger generation doesn't have the same work ethic. And, and I'm not sure I, I buy into that 100% because I know some good young people. But in general, when you worked on the farm, you had to have a work, good work ethic. You had no other choice. That's right. So then how did the musical background come in? Did you uh, sort of learn by acclamation and just kind of uh, play, no. or did you take some training? No training at all. Everything was a uh, sort of evolved. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I, I remember when I was about, probably about six years old, my mother had uh, 
bought from the Simpsons catalog yeah. a guitar with the picture of the Lone Ranger on it. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, that was, <laughs> oh, I wish I had that guitar today. I don't know whatever happened to it. from. Yeah. But anyway, that was uh, that was sort of the beginning, and I would strum away on that thing, and of course, half the strings broke. Yeah. And I, I had to use a knife, uh, a metal knife, to slide up and down the strings because it actually was a Hawaiian guitar. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. Tried to press my little fingers down against the frets, and yeah. I couldn't do it. But anyway, that was my that was my beginning, and then I would oh. write little little songs, and and uh, I would climb on my horse and yodel my way across the prairies, going for the cows, and yeah, and so listening was- to Will. Will Carter on the old battery radio. Of course, yes, yeah. So, and, uh, well, when I watch you play, though, you use a thumb pick, and you and you do quite nice finger picking and stuff. Did you just kind of figure that out, and like go pick the chords and stuff, and just do? Our yeah, I, I I realized I guess a long time ago that if I if I played with my thumb and uh, my fingers as a melody, I could get away without a band. Yeah. So it it wasn't actually it wasn't to make a living in the business. I, I didn't really make a living properly until I got rid of the band <laughs> and, just, right. and played a solo. So that was I did a lot of a lot of years playing in lounges and bars and yeah. whatnot. Some of it solo and and some of it with the with a band. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, I guess it's like any musician. You're just out there looking for a gig, right? And you just take them just, where, you, where you can get them. Yeah, and I, you know, I wrote a lot of coming from the prairies. I wrote a lot of songs about the prairies. Yeah. Know, ten years old and barefoot. Yeah, the great songs. With all those songs. Yeah. Before that, I spent a few years with a chainsaw too. So yeah, it was all part of the songwriting research, I guess. Well, it's it's a good point you make because I've always felt that too. Like music is part of life, but it's not your whole life, and and everything that you do can be brought to bear on the music. So it makes you um, more insightful, or more you know, it raises your intuition about yeah. other things, and then you can write about those things, right? Uh, yeah, I, tr- I, you know, I tried to, I, I gained a little knowledge by when the Canadian Country Music Association started up in Edmonton, and uh, I was fortunate enough to go there and just uh, take in some of the seminars and, yeah. and and met a lot of people in the industry and other songwriters and yeah. agents, et cetera, and showcases nice. and yeah. all that. So it was just all evolving. Yeah, and you know, some of it was not great, but it was. It was nice. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, too, because you talk about different genres, like you're considered a country artist or a folk artist or a minstrel, I guess, or a singer-songwriter, and, and you even have some Celtic influence. I, I, I've heard some songs of yours that, that have a sort of a Celtic flavor, too. Yeah, I think it was all all done by instinct. and uh, I tried to get away <laughs> tried to get away from the self-pity songs. I, yeah, there you, you go. Know, for a while, that, that's what I was writing with self-pity songs. Oh, poor me. I'm out on the road. It's you oh. know, very lonesome and everything. But hey, that was that was my choice. A long time ago, my yeah. wife and I, we got together. Of course, we did for the last 66 years. We got together. Wow. And, and it was, uh, well, what do we do? Yeah. Do I go back to the bush and uh, work with a chainsaw when my back is played out? Yeah. Uh, no, the only other thing I knew how to do was sing songs yeah write songs there you go so we decided yeah this is what i do and this is this is what i'm gonna continue to do so yeah oh good out on the road with the bus and the band and the whatever yeah, yeah well we used to go what we call it crying your beer country right it's 
<laughs> that was yeah, well, there's there's some there's some truth in that. That's for sure. Yeah, and then so you the, the thing that, that impressed me with you too, like you're the genuine sort of prairie boy singing from experience. I, I read Ian Tyson's book, you know, and I and I I really respected him because he was a cowboy. You know, he he wasn't a a sidewalk commando like a lot of the country singers have never been on a horse, right? They That's just, right. They just sing like they're they're horse guys, but they're really not. And yeah. guys like Ian Tyson and yourself, you know, you you did cattle drives, right? You did ride, and and you were a true sort of prairie boy cowboy. Yeah, I I just and I got to ride with a lot of the old time cowboys, and hmm. mainly in in the Kamloops area. And uh, some of those old boys are dead now, but uh, right, it was quite an experience. You know, it's funny when I when I was a teenager, I read this book called The Boss of the Namco Drive. And it was just uh, the most interesting book. I, th- I read it twice, actually, because I liked it so much. And it was about a, a, a cattle drive, I think, from Kamloops up to Williams Lake or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Boy, what a life. Yeah, it was it was tough. Well, we lived, uh, you know, my wife and I, we lived southwest of Prince George, okay. BC, of the old, old Blackwater River Road. And, and uh, we were there for many, many years. And oh, we were wow. right out right out in the bush. And it yeah. was just, uh, yeah. So were you ranching out there, or we just, that was... No. Where, Sawmill, sawmill chainsaw, okay. chainsaw, yeah. So there's wow. there's there's a couple of songs in there too. One was "Don't Change the Color of Your Collar" with the working man song. Yeah. So I had a few of those. Wow. So you've had quite the progression. Like you started out on the prairies, but you didn't want to mm-hmm. be a farmer. Then you ended up being a logger or, or getting a chainsaw in your hand. I mean, heading up the side of a hill with a five foot chainsaw is not for the faint of heart either. No, <laughs> certainly wasn't. No. But I, you know, I, I, got, I got lucky because I got to know people like uh, I don't know if you've heard of Howie Vickers. Of course, yeah, I've interviewed. I had him on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was uh, an instigator of, of my music. Nice. And uh, he produced actually several things for me. Yeah. And of course, he had access to. Uh, to uh, all the session players that played at Little Mountain Sound. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I got to record at Little Mountain in, the, in their off hours, right, when they weren't uh, recording mainstream people. Yeah. I got to go in there with Howie and Ron Obvious, engineers, and, and uh, had arrangers like David Sinclair, and who played on many sessions yeah. for me. Yeah. And Linda Kidder, who I got to mention her, she, I never had a single out that she wasn't singing somewhere on the, on the record. Yeah, and I I saw her many times at uh, the River Rock Casino because I played there with my band, of course, many times. Mm-hmm. And then we were the house band at Merritt Mountain Fest for many years. And I met David up there. David has has passed away now. For the people who don't know, for our listeners, he was in the band yeah, Straight we, Lines, and yeah, he passed away twenty eighteen, I guess, right? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, and he he produced uh, several songs for me and and arranged several songs for me. Yeah. One in particular was a song I wrote called uh, I Apologize, and that was when, uh, 2008, I think, when the government made the apologies of the First Nations yes. to the residential yeah. schools. So David was and part of that. He was part of that, that yeah. recording that I made, and it, it, got, it made some waves across Canada and yeah. Native communities. Yeah, very nice. So it was uh, good. Well, anyway, good. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you worked with David. He was excellent because he worked with Susan Jacks as well, who uh, who I knew. I know, yeah, and I I got to be on the same show as David many times, and Linda Kidder. And, yeah, and she was, and yeah. then we have a mutual friend, Sean Susie, because um, I've known Sean for many years. I knew his brother. Oh yeah, yeah. just like we we I think we went to uh, Montreal once, and uh, it was a, it was a special on me and. Uh, 
all my musicians could speak French. Oh, wow. Except me. <laughs> <laughs> so he would have hit Connie LeBeau playing bass, and uh, she's from Victoria. Right. I yep. lost my train of thought. Well, there, it, it, yeah, so you went back. So Sean Soucy, I knew his brother Steve, of course, and, and uh, yeah. I know his family. So I, yeah, I played with Sean for actually a few years. Yeah. Great guy. And, and his brother, too, off and on. Well, Steve was a fantastic. He's, he's passed away now. He A couple of years ago, he... Uh, yeah, that's... I've just... Boy, I'm, I'm so out of the loop now. I just find out about these things uh, way yeah. after the fact. Well, no. you know, that's the thing about... We, as every year we get older, there's fewer people that we used to know and, mm-hmm. and a longer list of people who we did know that are gone now. And, and some of them not... You know, Steve was in his early 60s. I mean, he was, for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, had lots of life left to live, but... Um, yeah, but yeah, Sean's up in the Sunshine Coast now, and he's he's doing well. I don't know how much playing he's doing because of the COVID thing, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, put a yeah that it. that COVID <laughs> thing. When that hit, my my touring career was virtually came to a standstill. You know, oh. I had dates booked and uh, yeah, had to cancel everything, and so we thought that uh, time to retire. Yeah, well, I guess at, yeah at eighty two, so. <laughs> Lynn and I have been—we've been married for sixty-six years now, wow. and, and so we're uh, we're here on the island. And yeah, being well, you did your time. There's nothing left to prove, really. I mean, you're just enjoying what you've uh, built over the years, which is substantial and and good for you. What I, I learned, what what I did learn over the years was that uh, songwriting, you know, like it, it all starts, of course, with a flash of inspiration. Yeah, but then comes the hard work, and that's like I couldn't uh, handle the hard work anymore, so I retired. Right. Well, fair enough. I mean, you, you have to pay the price and, and travel and do the things that, that need to be done to, to, to keep a career online. But uh, I was going to ask you about, uh, well, I was going to ask if you ever met Ian Tyson. Did you ever work with Ian Tyson? Yes, worked with him several times. Okay, good. Uh, on my on my own, I think I, I opened for Ian at the Windspear okay. Center in in Edmonton yeah. once many, many years ago. Nice. And uh, then I, I actually headlined it. Windsor Center too on my own. Very nice. So that was that was a big thrill for me. People coming to, you know, there's hundreds of people out there, and the, they all came to see me and paid their money, and I, I just like. Very nice. It doesn't get more satisfying than that for a, a songwriter. Absolutely, singer. no, that's great. And I did watch some of that video too. There's a couple of clips. That, there's some video of that online. So I did watch some of that, and it, it comes across really well. I mean, the people there, you know you know what it's like when you have an audience, if they're buying what you're selling or there's a, there's a sort of reciprocation mm-hmm. there. Like, they were really enjoying the stories, and, and the sound was beautiful, and it just it was just magical, right? Yeah, I, I, check, I, I check into that old clip once in a while <laughs> yeah. just to see, yeah, this is what I used to do. Yeah, very good. And then, so I was saying you went from the prairies to the to the bush to now the island, and, and I was going to ask you what your connection with Valdi is, but Valdi was well known for, for being oh, an islander, yes. right? Yeah. So. You know, I, I've met him several times over the years, and it was mainly through a, a song I wrote about an old Martin guitar called Me and Martin. Hmm. And Valdi recorded it, and oh. like, that was, to me, at that time, that was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. Oh, nice! And then a few years later, we uh, we got together and and uh, we did a show together. Yeah. And uh, separately, I mean, we just we were on the same stage. Yeah. For several times before we actually saw, hey, let's record, let's go on tour and yeah. whatnot. So we did, and it was uh, <clears throat> a great experience. And that was for about at least ten years. We yeah. did the Okanagan tour. Uh-huh. 
yeah, every year for about ten years, and it was it was great. Oh, great you guys are a great, you're a great match, and uh, of course, Valdi's super talented guy and had lots of success and crossover success too, because he was on AM radio in the in the seventies and stuff. Oh too, yeah, right? so yeah, so and you know he's still he's still there's that carrot hanging out there in front of him. He's still going for it. Oh good. Oh, really? oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I watched yeah, uh, you guys were doing yesterday when I was young in in 2015. I saw the video of that. Oh, I. Yeah, it must have been part of our recording. Yeah, it was, so it's a did. live show that you did, and he's playing live, along yeah. with you. He's quite uh, a good guitar player, Valdi. He is a wonderful musician. Yeah, really good. Well, I, I got I got so many stories about him. Yeah, that, tell me some. Uh, <laughs> let me see. Oh, I better not. Yeah, that's okay. But you guys are you guys were uh, a good pair, I guess I would say. You get you had a, sort of a similar outlook and the, the music was really mm-hmm. compatible and you sound real good together. So I guess when you're used to playing by yourself, and, I, and I've done that lots too, you do, there's nothing sort of crowding your music, but then when you find somebody you really relate to, it's like it just makes it better. That's right. Well, yeah. very cool. So I was going to ask you about that because you, you mentioned earlier about the bands and, and how expensive they are, obviously, and you, when you're on the road, um, you got to pay for yeah. everything, right? So... Did you have, you know, an actual band or were you just using studio guys or a combination? No, it was a, well, probably a combination. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I played a lot with, uh, well, Linda. She played bass too. I mean, very good bass. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I uh, forgot about that. That was for several years. Yeah. Charlie Hayes, I don't know if you. I do, yeah. He's a steel player, excellent steel player. I did uh, a bunch of shows with him, actually. I would let him cut loose on some wild solos, and I had songs out that then that uh, <laughs> that would work for that, like "Winds of October" and uh, yeah. uh, another song that he played on was "Tears on Main Street," and he would do a wild solo at the end of the songs, and they just yeah. like bring the house down. Oh no, he's so- great, but he had a he had a distortion pedal on a steel guitar too. He could make it sound like an electric guitar. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <it was laughs> very good. But anyway, it was yeah. He played with me for oh, several, several years. Peter Padden, yeah, another guy, a drummer. Very nice. And uh, yeah, so I had a lot of a lot of musicians over the years. And so, yeah, but I, I, you know, so many years I we went on tour, and at the end of the tour, Lynn and I would look at each other and then, well, but the only money we made was CD sales. Right. So yeah. uh, that's what we survived on, and. Uh, we thought uh, this is not working. Yeah, we're uh, we're losing. Well, that's what some so, people. Uh, I mean, some people yeah. don't realize the costs involved. But every day, like the the layoff days, you got to pay the living out expense. You got to pay for the rooms. You got to pay for the yeah. gas and the travel. Like you're, everything's coming off the top. Mm-hmm. So it's it's yeah, tough. and then uh, agents, agents <laughs> and managers. Oh yeah, I got to tell you a little story about. Manager Brian Fairman, he was he was great. He managed Michelle Wright too, and yeah. whatnot. But anyway, he lived in Nashville. He wanted me to move to Nashville. No, I'm not moving there. Hmm. He said, "Well, come on, move to Nashville." He said, "You can. You might have to change your name." Hmm. <laughs> What's the matter with Gary? <laughs> no, and never mind. So anyway, uh, I uh, slowly got rid of. Pretty soon, it was just Linda and I. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, I just wasn't. We weren't making it, but that turned out really good. Because as soon as I got got rid of the, I shouldn't say got rid of the band, because it just the way it worked. Yeah. Uh, then I uh, 
another lost my train of thought again. I'm 85, you know. Yeah, like no, I'm, that's quite all right. No, you were just talking about the band and the expenses, and and the thing is, is that I like having control. That's the one thing. Like when you're talking about moving to Nashville, or you have a manager, yeah. or you have a record deal, you, you you end up losing control. I've talked to so many musicians who didn't really have a lot of control over their career. That's so, right. You know, here's yeah. where you're going. Here's what we're doing. I need a hit song. I need this. I need that. It's like, well, wait a second. That's not really what I'm about. I just want to sing my songs and relate to people. Yeah. So. Well, they, you know, manager that I had, Brian Ferriman, he it was so ironic because we had a meeting once with uh, other people that he was managing, too. We were all in the... But anyway, Brian was on the 10th, 12th floor, I don't know, of the Four Seasons Hotel. And uh, Lynn and I slept down in our van <laughs> in the park in the parking lot. Oh, and that was... Uh, yeah. Well, it was so ironic that that's the way it worked. Yeah. Wow. And the manager got to pay him and pay the agent and oh yeah yeah and all the musicians and the hotels and everything and then uh, you know crowds were good but it didn't really make that much difference yeah so how did you actually break into the music you know I was, I'm always curious like a lot of people you know grow up and a lot of people would have had a similar experience to you you play a bit of guitar you sing a few songs you might even write a few songs but very few people actually pursue that right most people would just fall away into a different career and what was your break yeah. you know when did well, you I decide think the, I think the songwriting was the key was it okay because uh, I you know I realized that oh I got some songs here in a, in a drawer that I got to dig them out and start doing it yeah. So, and again, it was a very slow progression. I, you know, I'd, I'd make demo tapes and whatnot and send them around, but I ended up in Edmonton with a Helping Hand Music Organization, R. Harlan Smith. And so I did a, I did an album with them, and uh, it, it wasn't very good, but there was a couple of songs on it that did get some airplay. So that's gained a little bit of more notoriety. And so, what and year would that one, have? What year was that? That would have been nineteen. What year was that? Mid seventies, probably. I would think. Mid seventies, seventy six. Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay. Then we had a falling out, which is uh, quite happened quite often. Yeah. And then uh, I went on my own with uh, just playing in lounges, hmm. and that was like week after week, and play in a lounge in Red Deer, and then another one in, in Edmonton or whatever. Yeah. And just uh, and made enough money that I go home book a studio, and try and record some songs. And that's where I ended up with Howie. Okay. Howie Vickers. Yeah. And, uh, and he produced the rest of the album that I was working on on my own. So was this ballad, and, Ballads and Beer, or was that me and Mr. Martin? That was the, the Ballads and Beer, I think. Was okay. 79. 79. But anyway, yeah. I, I, uh, I ended up recording on my own, and I had some help from the, the organization at the time. The songwriting organization was it uh, SoCan or or PRO SoCan. or BMI or any of those? I think it was SoCan. Yeah, yeah, SoCan, and uh, I actually got a, a grant from I shouldn't say a grant, a loan from them. No, oh, nice. And I think it was eight thousand dollars or something like yeah. that. So I was able to finish recording that album. It was called Time and Innocence. Yeah, that was and Howie was. Yeah, I think so, and Howie was part of that too, and. and yeah, I listened to that. It's a, it's a, it's a very well produced album. I really thought it was really good, and you can you can yeah, hear. But you know. then, you know, what's what's the interesting part is that I ended up paying that money back. Okay, I was the only artist in Canada that ever paid a loan back. To, oh wow! <laughs> to SoCan. 
That's and, funny. Uh, anyway, it was so, so my name was like I was gold. Yeah. I could, I could get money from them for another album. So. Yeah, it's funny. And how he again produced it. Oh, good. So that's what I was going to ask you about the record companies, because you had Royalty Records, I guess, was the first two, and then you went to Savannah Records. I was just curious how you got the record deals. It was, yeah, it was uh, through Savannah that I I did, I had some some hits, I guess you could yeah. call it. Yeah. But at that time, I was outselling Michelle Wright, which yeah. I was really, really proud of. We were good friends, really. Oh, good. Yeah, my, and, my uh, buddy used to play drums. For, my buddy, Dave Gustafson, played drums for Michelle Wright for... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it just uh, and then that, you know I got a lot of airplay in a certain space of time and yeah and that sort of put me on the map and then I was pretty soon I'm doing the Tommy Hunter show a yeah. couple of times and how was how was that out of Edmonton it was great yeah. I Tommy Hunter show yeah it, it was it was uh, I was that was the big time for me yeah. I remember getting a uh, thinking I want to be on the Rita McNeil show okay so the agent tried and never tried and. My manager Brian, he tried to get me on the show, and nobody could. Okay. So I wrote, I wrote uh, Rita a letter, and I knew her. I'd met her over the years, and I said I wanted to be on your show, and I want to do these songs, Islanders, and uh, I forget what the other song was. Uh, I forget. Cowboy in your heart. Oh, there's lots that would been would have been totally appropriate for her show. She would have loved you. But I anyway, I did that show. Oh, good. And. Uh, uh, she, yeah, she sent me a letter back and saying, "I do want you to do the show. Can you? Are you available?" Blah blah blah. Nice. So one thing led to another. I, I did. I did it on my own. It yeah. Didn't need a manager for that. Yeah. Well, she would have related to you right away. I mean, she would would have known who you are, I assume. And and of course, she's an East Coaster. But yeah, I just the Maritimes were uh, were. Uh, I, I loved playing there. I, yeah. I I didn't get a chance that much, but it was a great, great well, time. Well, I was going to ask you about that too. I mean, you toured lots, but you you went across Canada. You, did you go down into the states quite a bit or a little bit? Not really. Valdi and I did. We did play in the in the states once at a festival. Yeah, I forget what it was now. But you uh, the Norskohusta Fest. Oh, <laughs> interesting. But you declined to move there because a lot of Canadians moved down to the states, L.A. or New York or or Nashville. You you just passed oh, on yeah. that. You didn't oh. want to take your career to the next level and try to make. We, the... No, we. I I don't think we were. Maybe we weren't hungry enough. I don't. Well, know. I don't know. It's. Uh, but uh, I no, I couldn't see our, see us moving to Nashville at all. It was, I'd been down there a few times and I co-wrote with a couple of people. And, yeah. And it was a nice experience, but uh, no, I wouldn't want to live there. Well, I'm curious about that because, you know, everyone has a different sort of path in life. But what, when you started out, like in the mid-70s, what was your goal? Like, what did you have a sort of, I want to do this and this? Did you have a goal or did you just want to see what happens? I, uh, I don't, I wasn't aware of us having a goal. Okay. I'm just uh, making a living. Yes. Yeah. Did a lot of traveling. Yeah. Uh, we finally got a motor home and uh, it was great because we, you know, drive up to the venue and uh, set up. And after the gig, tear down, go to bed. Yeah. Right there. Nice. And then we'd travel, you know, another couple hundred miles and do another one. It yeah. It went, went on and on and on. Huh. So you didn't go into the States too much, but you did go to Europe, did you Did you not, a couple times? Went to, went to Europe more than more than twice. I, I think it was about nine times altogether. Oh, wow. So what was your connection over there? Did you have some, some success Yeah, over there? Well, we had, we had a, uh, a guy over there that... Uh, sort of semi-managed tours and whatnot. Really nice man. Yeah. 
and uh, so we went over there once. Once with uh, the Good Brothers were part of that. Nice. And uh, and uh, Laura Benson, the Red Wing, and our Harlan Smith. Yeah. And then and then uh, I went back again seven times or some wow. nine times. Wow, that's great. Wow. Yeah. And it was it was always nice, but it never expanded. It right. never got bigger. That like the agent over there, he was he always had those same rooms all the time and. Right. And we'd play them, and then we'd go back two years later and do the same venues. Yeah. And it just it never grew. Well, that's always so, the rub in the music business, right? I mean, you want it. That's why I was saying some people want to go to the States and sort of, you know, you ask them, well, what would it have taken to get your career to the next level? Like, what, what would it you've needed to do to get the next level? And some people say, well, I didn't really care about that. That's not what I was focused on. Other people are like, yeah, I should have, you know, I should have moved to Nashville or I should have promoted more in the, in Europe and expanded that more do you ever have those feelings yeah you know i was i was sort of fell in the cracks okay of the, it wasn't mainstream country and that's the management and everything that's what the, that's the direction they wanted me to be right to go is to that, that mainstream country because then i was an easier sell right and they always picked the easy way out but the artist was the one that, that suffered i wasn't comfortable doing mainstream country Hmm. Like the big band and everything, and, and the, the loud backbeat and the whole bit. I, I wasn't comfortable doing that. I'd much rather be out there with just a acoustic guitar and just uh, yeah. doing the quiet little shows. Basically, I was quite happy just doing that. I think that uh, like having semi, I guess semi hits. I don't know. I got a lot of airplay, but I like I wasn't getting played on mainstream radio with a song like "Somewhere on the Island." Hmm songs like that I, I they weren't mainstream countries. so what was your biggest song in canada do you think i you know i don't know yeah i was just curious like, about that I, I was trying to find some stats on it and just see which one because i guess it's regional too some people i mean of course we heard you lots out here on the west coast your yeah name, your name was everywhere everyone knew who you were knows who you are yeah i think i was quite pleased when somewhere on the island uh i had a video of that song yeah uh, using uh, footage from the old old Haida war canoes. Oh wow! And that cool. was uh, so I had film with that access to that film. Yeah. And so it turned out to be a wonderful video. Yes. Although it wasn't country for sure. Yeah. It was more of like a, a protest song in a way, social comment. Kind of Canadiana, I guess you'd call and, it. Uh, yeah. So it went. That video went to number seventeen in the states. Wow. And I think at that time I could have been maybe exploited a little bit, but yeah, management were like I say they wanted me to be mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I did this album called Believe in Forever, which was very expensive to do, but that was the uh, management had sole control over that, and even the production. That was nineteen ninety four. I think somewhere in there. That's what I have here. Yeah, Believe in Forever. Yeah. Great sounding album though, like the production's nice. I, I yeah, it was it was a nice production on it. Yeah. Again, it wasn't. It really wasn't me, but I. Well, yeah, that's yeah. what I wanted to ask you about because you know, with singer songwriters, I mean that you're a true singer songwriter. You hear that that expression used a lot these days, but uh, you know they'll go to Nashville and have staff writers help them write and stuff, and still label themselves as a singer songwriter. But really, the true singer songwriter is someone who's writing from their heart about experiences that they've had. And mm -hmm. singing about it, and that's what you are. Um, but then on the other side, the rub is you're not really chasing commercial success for its 
own sake and you're not chasing the charts, right? Like you're not looking at the charts going, I got to get up to, you know, number five or something, right? No, it didn't, it didn't seem like that was important to me. Hmm. I just quit satisfied to have a, have a, have a people in front of me that wanted to hear me. Yes. Well. And, uh, they were mainly concerned about hearing the song and the lyrics yeah, and uh, that was unusual because a lot of the songs now, uh, I can't make out the lyrics at all. But again, the, the commercial songwriters—they doesn't really matter. They're trying to write songs that for commercial success. They'll write for other people. That's right. They have a group of people writing a song. What do we? What can we give to the people? And that's really the bottom line: is the commercial aspect of it, right? That's right. Which is counterintuitive to what you're doing because you're writing reflective, kind of meaningful songs about your life. Yeah, and so and so. I mean, some of the songs that were most successful for me, I guess, were that, that lasted for seemed to last forever. And that's a song like Ten Years Old and Barefoot." Yeah, great song. It just uh, it was such a simple little song to write. I think I wrote it on the way back. I was driving at night from Jasper to Prince George, and I yeah. wrote that. And so it was uh, so easy to write. Yeah. The same with the, when Baldy and I recorded. I wrote a song called uh, Contenders, and uh, it was for Valdi and I to sing, and it was like so easy to write nice. about about somebody's life who you know really well. So Valdi and I, we, we, we did record it, and it was just, it's a beautiful re- recording. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that song uh, I've listened. I listened to a whole bunch. I don't have that on my list here, but uh, I really liked. I really liked Heroes. I really liked the oh. the guitar picking in in Heroes. I listened to. Well, yeah, I couldn't go through a- all your catalog because you have like fifteen albums out. But I listened to probably twenty or thirty tunes, like Ten Years Old and Barefoot, Buckskin Jacket, that Fire and Lace with uh, with Linda sounds mm-hmm. great. I, lo- I love that. And a couple of duets with Linda Kidder that yeah. were quite successful, like The Moon Is Out to Get Me. And, yeah, that's great. I listened uh, to that. Yeah. Songs like that, and that uh, Car- Caragana Wind is Caragana Wind. Yeah, that's quite nice. Another, some of those songs became really easy for me because I I knew about the life Caragana mm. Wind. Yeah, everybody what's a Caragana? <laughs> and then you did the song Dusty, which was um, you know you oh. ta- you talk about the 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 fate of yeah because because you bring some social issues in and of course the first nations thing comes up with in your writing quite a bit and dusty mm-hmm. is about the you know that sort of drunken indian typical pretty pretty raw yeah but i mean it's I it's nice it's nice finger picking nice song i was I've kind of made me reflect a bit yeah it's uh that that really happened i mean i yeah i did meet a guy i was playing at a at a club in edmonton an old church owned by the Hoopers, Danny Hooper and his dad. So I, I was on my way to rehearsal, and uh, I met this Indian on the street, of course, and uh, we got into a conversation. So that was where that song came from. Yeah, yeah. well, I, and, and there's a real sort of message there. I, I know that guy, you know what I mean? I thought when I, when I read that, when I listened to that song, I thought, well, I, I know that person who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Not that individual, but I know people like that. And uh, it kind of makes your heart sort of reflect on on where certain people are at in life. 
mm-hmm. and how they get dis- labeled and dismissed sometimes and they're human beings the same as, as all of us and well yeah I wanted you to talk about that a little bit about the social message and the and the meaning in your music it's more than just sort of pablum for the people to sell records you're, you're yeah well, that, I think that's uh, that's that's what differed, differed me from from some of the mainstream country but being accepted by that country music industry was quite nice I mean uh, I was quite grateful for that well you made and you got into the Hall of Fame in 2005 which is that's a pretty good I mean that's pretty much it right there right yeah that, that came as a big surprise oh really yeah well you'd had lots of albums out by then and and certainly had a good track record and mm-hmm. did you ever play you at know, Merritt Mountain Music Festival did you ever get up there I did I played the Merritt Mountain Festival maybe four times over the years okay and once with Baldy, okay, which was really uh, <laughs> that was kind of scary. But we were <laughs> due on stage. If you don't, if you don't make your allotted time on stage, I think we had forty-five minutes to play. Yeah, if you don't make that, you're cut in, cut into your time. So if you're late, forget it. You might not even get on the stage. Yeah. So Valdi, we're just about five minutes to play till showtime. I'm pacing backstage where's Valdi because we're doing this duo thing yeah and uh he comes rolling in with about two minutes to spare Gee. he has to what did I don't know he had to do something he had to, he had to wash his hair I think before he came on stage and just mm. and you know the show went off like gangbusters it oh, was wow. great <laughs> it was great but yeah. he he did that to me several times where he'd uh, he'd roll in <laughs> like five minutes before showtime oh gee well, good. Well, uh, songwriting obviously was important to you, and and uh, you know you started more as you said as a songwriter than a than a sort of a player. I guess they they sort of come up together because you want to write songs that you're able to play. But the songwriting part for you was was obviously a key component. You wouldn't have been just a player that's going to play cover tunes and, and go and do the club circuit kind of thing. Yeah, you I just uh, well, I, you know, I feel pretty lucky, really, that I I was able to. Uh, do what I did over the years. Yeah. Well, you yeah. certainly have a long list of accomplishments. I read down your list. I'll, I'll let people know at the end, uh, your website and stuff, if they want to check it out. But you certainly have a long list of uh, awards and accomplishments. And uh, did you reach your goal? Like you said, you didn't really have a specific goal, but are you happy with your career and how it went and, and what you achieved? Yeah, I, I, I believe I'm, I did what I could. Yeah. With the knowledge that I had and whatnot. And it's... Uh, yeah. Sort of true, true to my roots. And you... I wrote, I wrote what I know about. Yeah, I couldn't. I, if I tried to write something that I didn't know anything about, I, I failed miserably. But if I stuck to what I knew, yeah, I, I, did, I could uh, get by. And were you influenced by anybody like your contemporaries, like Lightfoot or Bruce Coburn or Murray McLaughlin? Any of those guys? Did they uh, influence you in any way? I, I, I'm sure they did. I, you know, especially Gordon Lightfoot. I, yeah. you know, I still drag up. I have a jam session every second Thursday or something. Oh, nice. Get together here with some old boys. I think everybody's over eighty. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I will always drag up a Gordon Lightfoot song or any enticing song. Yeah. Which uh, Which is your favorite? What do you like of Gordon Lightfoot? Oh, I, I you know, I like the, the stuff like "Mention My Name." Yeah. They're so so numerous. Well, yeah, I, I I do acoustic shows all the time, home, and I home I from the forest, and wherefore and why I, I do that one now too. I really like that one. So, what is it? Wherefore and why? Oh, 
When I woke this morning, something inside of me said I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. It's called The Wherefore and The Why. It's a great song. Of course, all the standard Mm -hmm. ones. But, well, good. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, I mean, you want to take some influence because those guys were enormously successful at what they did, but it's... um, But you want to have your own... Carve your own path, too, which you certainly did. So, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about that. Well, there's there's no two ways about it that uh, Gordon Lightfoot was one of my major influences yeah and he made it just playing acoustic guitar and singing songs that he liked and mm-hmm. and uh, so i was going to ask you about the songwriting process because a guy like gordon lightfoot like he wrote by himself he didn't really co-write he would just lock himself in a room for three days and and kind of come out with some some brilliant stuff and then you you did that a lot but you co-wrote as well with with valdi did you uh, how much co-writing uh, did you do we didn't do that much but okay. we did have uh, a few songs on each album that we did that yeah. uh, we co-wrote. Nice. And uh, we talked about touring. Did you like touring? Did you did you like that lifestyle out on the road? I mean, you must have done times when you yeah. did 100, I, 200 dates a year or anything like that? No, not that much, but okay. uh, we certainly never overworked, but uh, it was it was great. I I miss that, that touring, the meeting the different people and still wonder why these people are coming out to see yeah. us and, and uh, we played a lot of little farming communities and uh, yeah. country halls and uh, the churches. Yeah. I toured for a while with a, a, a duo in Sasky and Daryl. Yeah. He he was a you know wonderful guitar player and him and uh, Saskia they wrote songs together and whatnot and they were they, we went on tour for, for probably ten years. We did oh wow different uh, dates. Yeah. And that was in in between. The dates with Valdi and and the dates with Saskia and Daryl. Yeah, I was. We, we were busy all the time. Nice. We'd play some old churches. Yeah. And uh, they the deal was they got they dug up the the work. Yeah. And the venue and uh, and arranged all the advertising and everything and supplied the PA system. Nice. All I had to do was show up and play. Nice. So oh, good for you. Yeah. Good. We had some good crowds. And it was fun. Yeah, and how did you manage the family, though? Like, I understand you have four girls, right? Yeah, we, so. we had four girls. We lost one. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I'm lucky, very, very lucky that I have a wife that's uh, absolutely amazing. And she did most of the work. Yeah. And uh, once the kids had left home and everything, then we were able to tour together. Okay, so you were mostly at home when your kids were younger and, and raising your family? Uh, no, I was out on the road, too, okay. you know, playing bars. and Yeah. I went through all that, you know, where you learn the latest Whale and Jennings song. Uh, right. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the traveling. I couldn't handle that. I had two little kids at home, and I was out on the road and stuff, and it just mm-hmm. it was the most down. I'm, I'm a pretty upbeat guy, but the most down I ever was was sitting in a hotel room in some in Brooks, Alberta or somewhere with That's my pretty, little kids at home. Yeah, pretty lonesome way of life. Yeah. You know, although there's crowds there and everything and people. and uh, Yeah, but they all, go yeah, home. Have a, they all go home to their families while you're going back yeah. to your hotel room, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right, so, yeah. Yeah. But it was just I, I enjoyed the people. The people that I had that came to my shows, they were so nice. They were such down to earth, nice. I guess rural type people yep. that just made my day. 
Yeah, well, that's good. I, they're authentic. It's funny when I when I studied counseling, I asked a counselor one time, well, "What what is it that you're trying to develop in people? What do you want to see?" And and the answer was, "We want people who are authentic people and they're transparent about it." And I thought, well, that's pretty good. And that's what those people are like. The people you're describing, mm-hmm. they're they're just real people, and yeah. they're really authentic about it. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of people you gravitate towards and want to be around. That's right. And so. Yeah. We would have great visits, you yeah. know, after the show, all the people would line up and whatever, and we'd try and talk to as many people as we could. Oh, nice. Well, you've rubbed, you've rubbed shoulders with lots of people and, and some stars, too. Is there anyone you keep in touch with or you became closer friends with? You know, there was a, for some reason or other, that I ended up opening for a lot of different ladies. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I remember, well, I toured with Tanya Tucker twice. Oh, nice. Or three times. Wow. Yeah, and that was that was great. I just as a solo. Yeah. And uh, and then I opened for Dolly <laughs> Dolly Parton at Clark Stadium in Edmonton wow. and uh, uh, Sam Pete Corral, I think, in Calgary. Well, that's nice. That's that's a feather so in your that, cap. Did you get to meet her and talk to her? Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. She says it uh, costs a lot of money to look this cheap. That's That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and uh, was and Joan Joan Baez. I did uh, when that was Buffy Saint Marie. Nice. At uh, did Parliament Hill twice. Yeah. At uh, on Canada Day celebration. Wow. That was really really exciting. Yeah. You're playing to a half a million people, and their their the sound is bouncing off the oh, skyscrapers. Yeah. Oh yeah. And 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 the monitor quit. You you've lost your way, but Jeez. you have to keep plowing on. So yeah. it was good. Wow. And uh, Joan Baez, mm. Tammy Wynette, yeah. Did you ever meet Anne Murray? You know, I never met Anne Murray. I don't think she liked me. No? I don't. I, I remember one time at a uh, at a uh, country music showcase, I guess it was, and I I had, uh, we had to cut our song short, so I did the piece of Cowboy in Your Heart, yeah. where I yodeled. Yeah. And, uh, and I, when I walked off the stage back to my where I was sitting, was right behind Anne Murray. Oh, she never even looked at me. <laughs> Jesus, I felt so small. <laughs> it's kind of a, anyway, a snub there by. Uh... Well, it seemed like it. You know, I, it's probably my imagination. Oh, it could be. Who who knows, right? Like one thing in the music business, you got to try not to take things personally if you can avoid <laughs> it. That's right. <laughs> you never know. So. Wow, had a, oh, that's cool. I had a lot of embarrassing moments in, on stage. Yeah, I can't believe it. I, you know, remember when I'm showcase in front of the industry, of course, all the important people yeah. are there. And uh, I'm sure you have you ever been in that situation where, oh. you, and I, nobody cares whether you live or die. Hundred percent. I've, I've <laughs> uh, musicians and entertainers should be the most humble people on earth because you've exposed your your. But anyway, and I was just. <laughs> I was introduced at this showcase, and, come, and Brian, my manager, he always said, you know, you can't go onto the stage until you're called. Hmm. Uh, don't go out there and mill about and try and set up your sound and all that stuff. And I like to be prepared whenever I did the performance. I wanted to be prepared. So yeah. anyway, I go out there, and they introduce me, and I walk out, and the cord that I was supposed to use was all tangled into a big snarl. Mm. And uh, I couldn't unravel it because I, 
I didn't have enough hands really to unravel it and I was holding my guitar. I think my strap might have broke or something too. I couldn't unravel this cord so they <laughs> they tossed me another one and uh, you know like the sound man should have been on top oh, of Oh yeah, that. there should have been a stage manager and or production assistant. Got it. Yeah. Got but anyway, so that was embarrassing. Eventually got the song going and it was okay. But Oh yeah, yeah, I've had a, few, had a few of those over the years, but so looking back, I mean, you obviously are in a good vantage point now to, to look back and everything. Is there anything you would change about your career or the decisions you made or your managers, studios? You know, I don't think so. I, I, no. uh, I thought about that. I don't think there's anything that I would have changed. Except I got lazy. Now I get I got lazy and I don't write anymore. Okay. Because it is hard work. Yeah. You probably know that. Yeah, and writing so, writing a meaningful song that that resonates with people is is not an easy thing to do. Writing songs is fairly easy, but most of the songs are not uh, the quality yeah, that you want, right? That's right. Yeah. Were you ever uh, taken advantage of or mistreated by record companies? I guess you started your own record label in in the early two thousands. Is that right? Yeah, I can't. The, the time and innocence, or the ballads and beer. That was was royalty, I think, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Me and me and Mr. Martin and ballads and beer yeah. was uh, royalty records. And but I, I remember one time with uh, royalty. I had just written ten years old and barefoot, and I was doing the the uh, Sylvia Tyson show radio show out of Edmonton. <laughs> I think I was. Backstage, waiting to go on, and I and I was going over this song, Ten Years Old and Barefoot." I just written it, and uh, royalties hierarchy, Jack Dubez. I think he's passed away since, but he he said that that song was no good. Hmm. Was wasting my time writing a song like that, and that for some reason or other, that really discouraged me because he was like he was the man, yeah. he was the money behind the label. I think that discouraged me because I thought it was a good song. So uh, that was one of the things that sort of stuck up. Yeah, but I guess a good song for him is something he can sell. He's looking for a commodity. You're looking for... Oh, absolutely. A, you know. Absolutely. And I, you know, I should have known that at the time. But yeah. I was clueless. So I just uh, I love this song. Yeah. Keep doing it. Yeah, good. Well, good. thanks for sticking to your guns because uh, it's a good, meaningful song. And, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, when you look back on your life, standing your ground and, and making decisions that are best for you are the ones that you appreciate looking back, right? And that, that was when we... That was the big falling out, I think, of when I left royalty. And they, uh, you know, when I, I went out working at different lounges all across the, yeah. the prairies pretty well. Huh. I went. To, I actually went to see a lawyer because I, I was in, under contract oh. to these people. So the, the lawyer, he looked at it, <laughs> studied the contract a little bit, and he said, don't even worry about it, just walk away from it. No person, no court would ever... So they'd throw it out because yeah. it was so one so one sided. There is such a thing in the music business as one sided contracts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and uh, lots of them. Yeah. So I did walk away, and they tried to eliminate my work. So they'd phone up agents or the lounge or wherever I happened to be playing. So you can't book Gary because he's under contract to us, and blah blah. Oh. So I. I would get just a little bit discouraged, but then I just plowed off, plowed ahead. Did that actually cost you some gigs and cost you some work? It did. It cost me oh. some work, and that's oh, wow. Lynn still does to this day. Could not forgive them for uh, take trying to eliminate work for mm. us. And I mean, who was I? This little guy, little little folk singer, sitting on a stool somewhere, yeah, singing some songs like Big Deal. Yeah, I usually ask my guests how much has the music business changed in the last fifty years, and 
some of the record deals and that aren't as exploitative as they once were, but the music business is different now. And what, what's your main takeaway from that? Yeah, I think the same sort of argument that goes on through the years and that the country music music is so, so the same. Mm-hmm. It's like when they go in to record, they're using the same guitar player, the same players, yeah. the same as backup singers. Yeah. It's all perfect. Yeah. And the harmony is just like deadly, just right on. Yeah. There's never any errors or anything and it just crooks along and then the, then they play the next song and it sounds exactly the same. Right. There's no real originality. Yeah. It's yeah, like you, uh, country rap, I guess. Yeah. Well, you make a good point because country music is a specific genre and people want to sound the same as the other people so they can get in the door. But the thing right. is, music is not really like, music is about stretching the boundaries and about identifying yourself individually rather than conforming to everything else. And nowadays it seems, and, and my wife listens to the country radio station, and I've made that point numerous times, that that it's very formulaic, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah, uh, it, it is very much the same. And that uh, there's very a lot of short careers yeah, that's and that's they, a good point. Yeah, a couple songs and you're two one and done the, or two and done. But the people they still rush down to Nashville and <laughs> I don't know if you, you're familiar with the song Sixteenth Avenue, Lacey J. Dalton. No, I'm not. It's got a song called Sixteenth Avenue and it's it's all about songwriters coming in from different small towns or whatever. Yeah, uh, and living in their bus or their van or their car and trying to get a record deal and trying to write songs. There you go. That's starving. Well, that's a pretty common story. I know a number of people who, you know, that, that think they're going to go to Nashville and there's a big pot of gold waiting for them down there. And there's no pot of gold down there. You just end up um, trying to find your way. Well, I remember going down there once. And I, I got, I rented this, uh, basically a songwriter cabin or apartment or whatever. Yeah. And it was, uh, and it was, you could rent it out and use it for a space to write songs. And so I stayed there, and I was all by myself in this little place. And uh, I don't know, for I, I turned on the light for some reason or other to go to the bathroom, I think, and I scuttle, scuttle, scuttle. <laughs> the cockroaches took over. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <would, laughs> oh, man, that was, I, yeah. thought, I don't want to stay here. Yeah. That's so anyway, a... I ended up co-writing with the guy next, the next day. And the song was uh, One More Pony Ride. Yeah, so it turned out pretty good. He was quite yeah. proud. Yeah, nice. But one thing I that I discovered very quickly about I've never been down there because I never wanted to, to sort of chase that dream, but what I realized is there's a lot more people making money off of people's dreams of being a star in the music business than there are stars mm-hmm. in the music business. Yeah, I... I I agree. There's, There's an interesting book that I just read and was uh, was written co-written by James Patterson and Dolly Part, and it's quite a story, and it's sort of patterned after Dolly's life yeah. uh, as a young singer coming to Nashville and whatnot, all the trouble she got into. It. Wow! And so it's it's fiction in a way, but it's uh, in a way it's not. Too. Yeah. It was like the the typical story about the manager getting his hooks into. Them signing anything that's put in front of them because they're so eager to get recorded. Yeah, well, and you and I both know for every success story, there's countless people who are not a success story and end up working as a waitress or going back home. Oh yes, I've known sure. a few of them. Did you ever record at Magic Lab here in in Surrey? 
Did you know those? Magic guys? Lab. Yeah. Magic Lab. Yes, that's really familiar. Yeah, that was because uh, they used to talk about you all the time. Because my friend Dave used to record there. I was just that just reminded me of that for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my head, but I was going to ask you about that because was that in uh, Surrey? Yeah, just off of Fraser Highway. They had a really nice. That was little the studio. boys. We used to call them the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Daryl, not Daryl. Yeah, it was. I, jeez, oh, I should know too, because um, I was there. I did a few studio sessions there and stuff. And but they talked about you a lot because you were you yeah. were there. Yeah. They, yeah, really nice guys. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Tom. Tom was one of the guys. Tom. And uh, and I. Tom think and Daryl. Might have been Daryl. Tom and Daryl. That's yep. right. Tom yeah. and Daryl. Yeah. Haven't seen him for years, but. Uh, but yeah, that's. I just wanted to ask you about that too. So the last question I usually ask my guests is, what what's left for you to do? Have you got anything else? You got an itch that you need to scratch still, or are you just uh, chilling now? <laughs> no, I I think I'm I'm quite happy. I've you know, done a lot of things. And uh, yep. you gonna go play live again? I don't think so. Although it hasn't been that long ago since Baldy and I did a did a thing with uh, Tillers Folly, great little Irish band. That's another guy I, I uh, played with, too, for several years, was Nolan Murray, yep. who plays, uh, like, smoke and mandolin and fiddle. Yeah, he absolutely, just, like, yep. He's just so great. But anyway, we did a sh- show with them. Okay. Baldy and I. Yep. And uh, then the other thing, that I just got uh, a song a song arranged by the announcement called Nanaimo Sings. Oh, nice. And... Uh, they chose Somewhere in the Island as one of the songs. I think it was seven songs altogether. And uh, they had a 90-voice uh, choir wow. arranged for the song. Yeah. And it was sort of heavy-handed, but it, it was, it was kind of neat to go there and, and in that wonderful theater. Was that the Port Theater? In that was the, the Port Theater, yeah. Okay, very nice. So, and, uh, and they did this song, and yeah. it was great. It was a, it was a bit heavy-handed. He had ninety voices singing, basically in unison, and uh, I couldn't figure out the lyrics. It, good thing I wrote the song. I never <laughs> figured out the lyrics at all. Yeah, because you get ninety pe- ninety people singing, and you can't pick out lyrics. It's all vowels. Yeah. Right. Oh. Huh. But anyway, it was, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. Well, well, good. Well, you know, I really appreciate this because we got to talk about your whole sort of career, your journey and your goals and the things that you wanted to do. And of course, your the success that you did have was was substantial and you did a lot of a lot of great things and, and uh, really appreciate you sharing some of that stuff with us. Well, thanks. Thank you for the opportunity and well, some of my concerns or whatever. Yeah, Just for sure. Great. Many thanks to Gary Felgard for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his life in the music business. More information is available at felgard.bc.ca. Nice website with lots of stuff on there. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Yarrick.